Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, footy fans of all ages, welcome to the fourth episode of Swans Talk and More, your 20-minute podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Parr, and there is a great deal to talk about tonight. First off, let's talk about the Swans game for round 14. Yes, it was against Port Adelaide, and it was a game of three parts. Not one, not two, but three. Even in John Longmire's own words in his press conference, he said the first and fourth quarter were very similar. The second was not great, but the third was terrific. So, let's get on to the review of the game. Port Adelaide, 11-7-73 to the Swans, 7-5-47. While it wasn't too bad at a 26-point loss, it actually could have been a lot better. And if the Swans hadn't played so poorly in the second quarter, it could have been a very good game. But let's start off. So, for the first and the last quarter, we tried hard, but it couldn't really gain much ascendancy. We kept getting the ball into our forward line, using it, but not scoring. There was a lot of effort for the most part, but sadly, that didn't show up on the scoreboard. Hopefully, we can rectify this. However... The second quarter was abysmal. It was another quarter where we did not score a goal. Another quarter where we couldn't hit a target. And in all honesty, it looked very lacklustre. Did you know that's the ninth quarter this year that we haven't been able to score at all for a goal? Isn't that a scary statistic? But let's back it up onto the third quarter. The third quarter, my friends, it was outstanding. We made some structural changes and played some players in the positions they should be playing within the team all the time. But let me come back to this later because I believe that I think we've found some very, very good positions for some very, very good players. And as I said last week in the review and the preview of the game, it would be one in the midfield. Sadly, that didn't help us, and I'll come back to this later as well. But some interesting stats for you. In the first half, we were minus 27 contested possessions, but in the third, we were plus 18 contested possessions. This meant we were winning a lot more of the hardball gets. Terrific effort, Swans. Pity about the first half. Also, in the first half, we were minus 20 clearances. However... In the third quarter, we were plus five and ultimately lost by 20. What does this say about our third quarter? Yes, very, very good. In the first half, we won only one centre clearance and ended up with six for the game. Four of these, again, were in the third quarter. For the third week in a row, we won the hitouts. Well done to Cal Sinclair and our number one ruckman, Alir Alir. The disposal efficiency was a whopping 71%. This was identical with Port for the game. That is quite high. We normally average in the 60s. 
So well done again, Swans. Efficiency inside 50 was better than our last four weeks at 42%. And tonight's game, 2% better than Port. So you ask, where are the issues? Where are they coming from? Why are they happening? Well, I'm going to do something a little differently tonight, and I'm going to talk about the concerns before I move on to the best players for the game. So what, you ask, are the issues? Well, this is my opinion, and obviously only my opinion, so you can agree or disagree with whatever you like, but I'm going to tell you mine anyway. So let's start with the elephant in the room. The midfield. Yes, the midfield. The midfield of the Swans really, really worries me. We have a group of players that play through there who are atrocious kicks. Their effective kicking is below par. We have the worst midfield in the league for effective kicks and effective kicking efficiency. Sadly, we have an aging Kennedy who has very little help and seemed to have lost the little pace he had. Don't get me wrong. He is a warrior, and he still gets a lot of the ball. But like his leadership, it is quiet and unassuming. He doesn't use it effectively. He hasn't for quite some time. He has the odd good game, but it's just not enough. We need more, and it needs to come soon. We have Parker, who is a good player. Not a great player, but a good player. But his ability to win the hard ball and ultimately dispose of it has always been a bit of a question. Just look at his effective kicking stats and you'll see what I mean. He is another marathon man, just like Josh Kennedy, but not a sprinter. He has no pace. He's effective throughout the whole game, but he needs that second, third and fourth gear. Then we move on to the kids. Rowbottom. James Rowbottom. He's been terrific this year. He's been outstanding going through the midfield and on the wing. He tries his heart out, and he always has, every time he's in there. And he will be a good player, but it's going to take time. It will take time for him to develop. It's a simple fact. He's 20 years old. Actually, I'm not even sure if he is 20 yet. So it's going to take time. Then we have Ollie Florent. Yes, Ollie Florent, who shows some brilliance in games, but sadly, it's not enough. He has one or two brilliant moments, and then he goes missing. Look at his fantasy points for this week. He was one of our lowest for the game. What does that say when he played the majority of the game in the midfield? He's there, he's not there, he's there, he does something brilliant, he disappears. And then we have an irregular mixture of Blakey, Clark, Bell and Papley. Yes, Tom Papley going through the middle. We need to make a decision about who is going to play through our middle and use them. Train them up and make sure we stick with it. We don't do enough of this. I'll tell you now, Swans fan, no matter how young or experienced our team is, if it is going to beat, get beat in the midfield, week in and week out, it will always be a struggle. 
A perfect example of this has been the previous four weeks. Whoever has been in the ruck has held their own or won the ruck contest. Cal Sinclair has won the ruck contest for the last three weeks. But we've been beaten on the clearances each and every week. What's going on? Why is this happening? If we're beating the opposition ruckman, we should be allowing our midfield to get the ball. Why isn't it happening? Are we not able to read the play? Can't we read Callum Sinclair's taps? From what I've watched, he actually looks like he's hitting it almost directly to our team. Yet, we're not clearing the ball. Are we not able to get down and dirty like Kirk, Bolton and Tommy Mitchell? Yes, Tommy Mitchell used to do. Or is it that we're just too one-dimensional? I ask you, what is the difference between Kennedy, Parker and Robottom? If you look at it closely, you'll say this. They are basically the same type of midfielder, and that is our issue. While it's great to have three workmen like bulls in the middle, you need a variance. You need a point of difference. After all, look at Geelong, look at their midfield. Selwood, Dangerfield, Ablett, Menangola, Simpson. They're all different types of midfielders. Then you look at ours. Kennedy. Parker, Rowbottom, Clark, Florent. They're all very similar. They're in and under. They're great with their hands, but their kicking skills let them down. Compare them again to Geelong. Ablett, one of the best kicks in the league. Dangerfield, one of the best kicks in the league. Selwood, in and under, hard at it. The other concern, and yes people, it is a concern, is Lewis Melican. Yes, all you Pelican lovers out there are going to go nuts about this, but his ability to defend is a concern. I'll tell you this, he's like the Titanic. He's like the Titanic because when he turns, he is slow. He is extremely slow. Have you seen him try to turn around? It's like going around a whole 360 degree person. And he's really slow off the mark. He can be playing on a forward person, and then all of a sudden, there's four or five metres on them. What's going on? Yes. Now, I know you people are going to say, he's 23, he's learning the craft. But he's been in the system for five years. And he doesn't seem to be getting any better at this particular thing. While he's good at punching the ball away, he has a few good intercept marks, his speed lets him down every single week. Last week, he was involved in giving away five goals. And I have to tell you, this is his best game last week since he returned from injuries. This week, seven. And was also involved when Dixon Palm won to Gray. Justin Westoff, for example. Robbie Fox played on him tonight until the last 10 minutes of the game when Melican went on to him. He'd had six touches. He got four in that last 10 minutes and kicked a goal. Justin Westoff looked terrible up until that moment. Then 
he comes out and gets a goal. He turned Melikan inside out. Again, I talk about my speed. Three weeks ago, he was involved in four goals that he gave away. So you ask, do I think he should be dropped? The answer is a simple no. We must persist with him at the moment. And remember, he isn't the guy who should be playing as the number one defender. He shouldn't be playing on the number one forward. But he's currently have to because we don't have anyone else. Alir Alir is not strong enough to play as the number one defender. Rampy's injured. Robbie Fox plays as the number two defender, and he's outsized every single week. But I tell you what must happen, Swans Tribe. This must continue, and we must work with him on developing some sort of pace and turning ability. And ultimately, they must trade for or buy a key defender over the off-season. This will allow Rampy some freedom to play his role more specifically as well. But God, we must persist with Melikan, and we must try and get something out of him. Because if we don't, we're never going to be able to develop Gould either. And I think that's the reason Melikan's in the side, is so they can have more time developing Gould to become a better player. But anyway, let's move on to the best players. I'm going to talk about the best players tonight, and I know this is going to be a bit controversial. But again, it is my opinion, and my opinion only. I'll start by saying, I don't think there was one single person who was consistently good for the whole game. So it made it awfully hard to judge the performance of any one player. In saying this, here goes. Tommy and McCartan. While he had a poor first half, he was shifted to the back line in the second half and actually looked like one of the best centre-half backs I have seen in a long time. We haven't had a designated centre-half back for ages, and I believe he could actually be it. Six intercept marks, five pressure acts, four one-percenters, 11 intercept possessions, all in the second half. Although, these stats don't matter. It was the way he looked playing at centre-half back that I really like. Horse, I implore you, if you are listening... Please play him at centre-half back for the rest of the year. His marking and ability to read the play is exactly what we need in our back line at the moment. It is exactly what we need to build and develop, and it is exactly what he needs. He is not going to get any better if you just leave him forward when the ball is just bombed in long or kicked at his toes. But if he learns to read it from the back line, it will also make him become a better forward in the future. And that's what I've got to say on Tommy McCartan. Moving on to another player that I thought played quite well tonight in Aaliyah Aaliyah. I'll be honest. I was worried about this inclusion. The last game he played, he was like a witch's hat on the ground. Three possessions and looked absolutely lost at sea. However, this was soon to change. And it changed from the first quarter. It wasn't his stats that were good. It was his presence, especially in the second half. In the first half, he looked reasonable in the back line. He held his own in most contests and didn't give away too much of ground. Admittingly, he wasn't playing on Charlie Dixon, which I think they were a bit worried about. However, in the second half, 
He played like a man possessed, or like someone who knew he was on his last chance. He rucked well, but most importantly, he was like another midfielder around the ground, especially with his pressure on the ball. He gave us what we needed at the time. To be brutally honest, and I've said this all year, I have always thought of all the people at the club, he should be our first choice ruckman. And that's where we should be training him to play. He is tall enough, he can hold his own in a contest and around the ground. And most importantly, he could give us a grundy presence which would give us more intercept marks. It would give us more time to give our midfielders space. Horse, if you are considering it, play a Lear Lear as the number one ruckman for the next four games. Put Cal Sinclair at full forward and play him out of the goal square and then chop him out with a Lear in the back line when you need to. But seriously, give a Lear a Lear a chance to set up and hold that position for the rest of the year. My next good one was Cal Sinclair. I'll be honest, it was slim pickings for the best players this week in my opinion, but Cal held his own in the ruck particularly in the first half. This was evidenced by the fact he was the only person who could say he was actually winning his position in the first half of the game. Sadly, around the ground and up forward, he struggled. That didn't matter at what stage of the game it was. He looked slow in the forward line, and he looked slow around the ground. But if you have a look at him, look at all the tape on his body. I reckon he's playing injured, and I reckon he's doing a mighty fine job for what he's had to put up with for the last four or five weeks. My final best player is controversial. And, drum roll, it is Ryan Clark. Whoa, don't turn off, don't turn off just yet. Hear me out. Clark is not a flashy player, but he goes in hard. Very, very hard. He tries, and he tries, and he goes in for a second effort, And he goes in for a third, and then he tries some more. He gets in good positions. He wins the hard ball. And his efficiency is surprisingly good. He went at 80.1% disposal efficiency for his 20 possessions tonight. And had our second best disposal efficiency for the game for any one person on the ground who had more than 15 possessions. And guess who that was? Mr. Jake Lloyd. Congratulations on your 150th, by the way. Overall, his career, his disposal efficiency isn't that bad. It sits around 70%. So that's not too bad at all for a midfielder or winger. When you think about it, Josh Kennedy, yes, our own Josh Kennedy, has a career average of 62%. So he actually has a better disposal efficiency than Josh Kennedy. Whoa. That's interesting, isn't it? Ryan Clark has a better disposal efficiency than our own legend in Josh Kennedy. The issue is his kicking. Yep, Ryan Clark, if you are listening to this, keep doing everything that you are doing, but please, for God's sake, work on your kicking and do not put your teammates under pressure when you go by foot. This is the one Achilles heel that you have. 
you put people under pressure consistently when you kick the ball. If you can take that out of your game, you will be a gun player. I guarantee it. But you've got to make sure you learn to kick effectively. But anyway, enough about this game, and let's move on to the other stuff. This is a segment that focuses on the stats the media don't want to tell us about. And today, we're talking about intercept possessions. Yes, I know, they talk about it with West Coast all the time and Jeremy McGovern. But when do you ever hear about the Swans and their intercept possessions? The answer is never. Well, according to the AFL, an intercept possession is where you intercept the ball when it has been in the opposition's control. Based on our last game, if Tom McCartan had been playing in the back line for his the entire year, he'd be winning this easily. However, our current top three are in third position at a great surprise is Lewis Milliken at 4.6 intercept possessions per game. In second is Callum Mills at 6.6 intercept possessions per game. And in first, we have Jake Lloyd at 6.9 intercept possessions per game. So well done to the 150 gamer, Jake Lloyd, on being the person who has the most intercept possessions for our team for the year. Isn't it interesting, though, that two of these players are our smaller defenders in Mills and Jake Lloyd? And it shows how much we are missing a floating big man like a Jeremy McGovern or a Heath Grundy, or anyone else in the league who does that role. Even a Teddy Richards would be great about now. But anyway, we are what we are at this particular point, and we have to do with what we can do. Anyway, let's move on to what I'm loving. So what I'm loving this week is the Tribunal. Yes, the Tribunal. The reason I'm loving the Tribunal is because they overturned the Powell Pepper and the Dow House decisions at the Tribunal. While I understand we have to protect the head, yes, I understand that, but accidents happen on the footy field. By all means, penalise the punches. Penalise the gut punches and the other areas of footy that look ugly. But it is time we had a hard look at the game and said, if we continue to penalise the tackler or the person going for the bump, we may as well not have a game. If we eliminate these from our actual game of Aussie rules football, it'll be a waste of time watching. It is an accident. There is no one player that goes out there to injure someone else. It is all well and good to slow the play down to an nth degree and go back and forward and say he could have done this, he could have done that. Hell, in a game, at live speed, it is less than a split second. Not frame by frame, the TV and the match panel do. Seriously. No player in today's football, as I just said, goes out to deliberately hurt another player. Those times have gone. Think about it, AFL. No one goes out to injure another player deliberately. When you slow 
the TV broadcast down and freeze frame it, of course it's going to look bad. But play it at live speed and see how it looks. Anyway, let's move on to what I'm hating. Teams going goalless for whole quarters. Yes, it is one of our biggest issues. But it seems to be an issue with coaching. If things are not going your way, we need to change the plan. Isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Horse and all the other coaches out there, you need to change. You need to give up on some of your plans and actually change when you need to. Another thing that I'm hating is staging. The reason I really dislike watching European football these days is because of the faking and the staging that you see in these games. Players go down like they have been shot. It is the biggest turnoff in any sport. If a player is injured, then I understand that it's important. However, this staging for free kicks or goals lately is driving me insane. Footballers from all clubs, please... Please come up with a pact to make sure this does not creep into our game anymore. It is becoming beyond a joke. Papley, Vlosten, et al. Make sure it stops and it stops now. So let's move on to the comments and questions from our listeners. First one comes from Derek Thomas. And he said, McCartan outstanding today can be developed to play both ends as needed. He's turning into an important asset for us. Derek, I totally agree and think he can become one of our major players. He is someone that we should be looking forward to and making sure we actually develop and keep. We cannot let him go. Anyway, moving on to the next comment, which was from Ben Strike, and he said, Who should we be targeting with our first pick in the draft? Well, Ben, I'm going to put up three names, and I want you to listen to these. And if we do not target one of these with our pick two or three or four, depending on what we end up with, then we would be silly. The first one is Cody Brand. If he has not been picked up on our first pick, then we need to put a bid in for him. Although he's a priority from the next gen at Essendon, we need to go for it. Listen to this. Cody Brand, 195 centimetres, 85 kilos, and is a tall, key defender. He would be outstanding playing for us. He's just like Dustin Fletcher and something that we need. The next one, again, a key defender, is Heath Chapman, 193 centimetres tall, 81 kilos, and plays like an athletic Heath Grundy. He's an athletic option who gets around the ground and can dip in and mark well to kickstart an offensive chain. It is exactly what we need. A tall, mobile defender. He would be another one I would look at. And the third and final one out of the people I'm going to talk about tonight is Nick Cox. He's a key forward or a key defender at 199 centimetres anyone thinking about the King Brothers right now, and 82 kilos. He's an athletic, tall forward or defender with a big upside. Cox did some exciting things in the NAB League last year, and I reckon he could 
become an outstanding player for us. He could even hit, be a chop out in the ruck if we needed him. He likes to play forward, but he's willing to play as a defender. And I think our biggest issue is we need a key defender. So that's all the comments or questions from tonight. And I'm sorry I didn't give people a lot of time because I wasn't sure whether I was going to record tonight or not. But anyway, that's it. Let's move on to our preview of the next game, which is the Swans versus Melbourne at 4.40 on Thursday, the 3rd of September. Again, another bloody early game. What's going on? Why can't the AFL just go, right, we're going to have these times, and that's it. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. So, how do we beat Melbourne? Well, in all honesty, I'm not sure we can, but these are the keys to it. We need to hold our own in the ruck against Gorn. If he gets on top and allows his midfield to go to work, we are in trouble. We have to stop him. Alir Alir is our best option for this. Start with Alir in the ruck and see how it goes from there. Second point is we need to stop Petrarca. We stop him and we stop their midfield and their forward dominance. The third thing is we need to be aware of our back line. Don't just kick the ball into our forward line and hope as May Lever and the rest of the defenders will just slingshot it out of the back line and it will not stop from there. They'll just go straight up through the centre of the ground and if this happens, I pity help our defenders because we will be short and we need to make sure we protect them. Our midfield's not doing it, so our defensive pressure from our forwards needs to happen, which means we need to kick the ball effectively into our forward 50. Something that we haven't been doing a lot of. Hopefully, next week we can. And late in, we've just had two more comments put up. So, let's see what they say. One is from our regular listener, Ellie Habak. And he says, Sydney Swans need hungry tall forwards, hungry tall midfielders for the Sydney Swans AFL team and tall, hungry defenders for this year's trade period. And defence wins you AFL premierships. That's what Paul Rose taught the Sydney Swans' whole team. John Longmire needs to stay to the Paul Ruse idea and teachings. Stephen Park, I believe this to be true. Ellie, I reckon you're right, mate. I know you've supported the Swans since back in the dark old days, and I think you should be right. I think we've got a lot coming through and I reckon we can develop it. We've got another question from Dan John, which was a late one, and I'm sorry I missed it in the first place, Dan, but you've got in anyway. And Dan says, What do you think the best team is and why? Also, who ta- what targets should we acquire in the free agency and trade period and why? Dan, I've already covered those with Ben Strike's comments, but I'll tell you who I think the best team is and why. I actually believe the best team at this current position is, yet again, the Richmond Football Club. The reason being, while they are arrogant, they are cocky, and they play ruthless, they are a very good side and they are up and coming. Port Adelaide have weaknesses in their defence. They are a forward onslaught team, and as soon as you shut that down, 
they struggle. That's exactly what we did tonight. Brisbane have real issues with their goal kicking. There has never been a team in history in the top eight or in the finals who's averaged 27% goal kicking efficiency. Well, currently, that's where the Brisbane Lions sit, at 27% goal kicking efficiency. If they continue that, they've got no show. The other one is the West Coast Eagles. The West Coast Eagles are there and thereabouts. The problem with them is they can't play away from Optus Stadium. The Optus Stadium was deliberately built to MCG specifications to make it easier for them. Well, they've trained so much on that, they can't play at any other ground against good opposition. And that's going to be the issue for them. If the finals are played in the West, then no one will beat them. If they're played in Queensland, then I think Richmond or whoever they play against will get over the top of them. But at this particular point, my tip is the Richmond Tigers as much as I hate to say it. So, what do you think? What's your opinion? Where do you think we'll go? Where do you think the league will go? And who do you think will win the AFL Premiership for 2020? I know it's meant to be a 20-minute podcast and we've gone a bit over time tonight. So leaving it there, I would like to say I'm sorry. I hope to have some more questions for you for next week and some more comments from different people. And also, I wish you all the best this week and please stay safe. Go Bloods! Cheer, cheer, the red and the white